Stackhouse Whiskey Club. We're down in. Should we get John in on this? John's got a good voice. Yeah, we can bring him in. We're down in Driftwood, Texas at Desert Door Distillery with the main man, Judd Kaufman. Welcome to Driftwood. There it is, man. Driftwood, hey, home of the Desert Door Distillery. Desert Door Distillery. And we got the main thing is Texas Sotal. Let's start off. What is Sotal? Well, first, let me correct your pronunciation because that was a pretty bad, pretty bad attempt. Was it? Sotol. Well, that's my first time. Everybody nervous. screws it up. It's S-O-T-O-L, but no one knows how to say it. I get it. So, okay. Sotol. West Texans say Soto. And then uh, one of my partners says Sotol, and he's wrong. He's been wrong for the last year and a half. He's not going to change his mind. So if you're wrong, stay wrong, I guess, is his mentality. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we were talking about this before we left. We watched a couple of videos and tried to say how somebody said it. Some people say it slowly, Sotol. Some people say Sotol. You say it's so tall. It's right in the middle. Right in the middle. Right in the middle of those two. Yeah, well, I'm from northeast Texas. We're a little slower. And uh, west Texans say Soto. Folks from out of, out of the state, they speed it up. And they, they try to say they don't Soto really or Sotol. Right, they're, they're afraid to own it. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. not afraid to own it. So to, to, to make this connection here, when these two are giving each other a little shit, tell you, Brad, I guess since this is uh, you're a part of this thing, how do you know this guy? Uh, we know each other from spent some time in the Navy together, and uh, he wanted to. Uh, I, basically, I was I was mentoring him. And he wanted to do, to be an Army Ranger real bad, and uh, you know, I took some time we, and kind of cut him out of that. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, thinking I want to be a team guy. So I have a different different memory of, uh, <laughs> of, how, of how we met. I was actually driving home. Uh, from my SEAL team one night, and I saw this, what I thought was a woman, passed out on the side of the road and pulled over to help out this damsel in distress and picked her up, and it was Brad, and, uh, and he was frail and tiny, and so I nursed him back to health and taught him how to be a real man, got him into the SEAL teams, and, and that's why he is the man he is today. So that's how we met. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was yeah. a, that's we, a spent, we spent a lot of time in the Navy together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. No, and, and you know, we've, we've had the, the pleasure of speaking to you on another podcast, the Worry Mindset podcast that Brad and I do, and got to talk a little bit about this and success that you've had and everything that came about with Desert Door Distillery and all the other uh, ventures that you've created. Um, but we came down here to put some uh, Desert Sotol into the into the Rackhouse Whiskey Box and to experience this uh, this new type of spirit that is the only one, correct, in the United States? Yeah, we're the only one since Prohibition. And prior to Prohibition, there were, there were one or two in Texas. But uh, if you keep rewinding the clock there, Sotol has been around for almost a thousand years. So it's it, it goes back a ways, especially right here in, in Texas and in northern Mexico, because it comes from the Sotol plant. And the Sotol plant only grows in the, the Chihuahua Desert, which is only found in northern Mexico, southern Texas, or just the, the tiniest corner of southeastern New Mexico. So talk a little bit about the Sotol plant, um, the conditions that it grows in. You said where it grows, but the, you know what it, what it looks like, the part that you harvest, and, and that process. So a lot of people mistake the plant for a yucca plant because it has similar leaves, long, thin leaves, and it grows in the desert, so the same environment that uh, yucca grows or agave, but there's some pretty cool history to Sotol. So the reason that it's not as popular as tequila or even mezcal has to do with the fact that it grows up at elevation. So it grows in these rocky mountains in the Chihuahua Desert, 
Well, when the Spanish showed up in, Me- in what's now Mexico in the 1500s, the natives who they met had never learned how to distill, but the Spanish had learned it. Uh, the ancient Greeks are the ones who sort of invented it. So the Spanish met these natives who were brewing beer out of agave and out of sotol plants. And the Spanish said, look, you guys should distill this stuff. So they started to, and they worked with the natives, and they started making tequila and, and sotol distilled and mezcal. Well, because the Spanish colonized areas that were closer to sea level, uh, and the sotol grew up in the mountains, over time, sotol sort of uh, earned this negative stigma as, uh, as this hillbilly moonshine, much like whiskey in America got the same moniker in you know Tennessee or Kentucky. These hillbillies moonshining it up in the mountains. And so over time, it was sort of looked at as the poor man's tequila, even though it's, in our opinion, an equally or if not a superior spirit in terms of quality and, and flavor profile. So because it just wasn't respected by the educated Spaniards, it uh, fell to the wayside. And so it's just not a popular spirit. But we're proud to be in a position where we can bring that back to the forefront and make it a real spirit that stands next to tequila or bourbon or whiskey. Yeah. Now, to the folks who may not see the video that we've made today, you've explained this process a couple times to us, but, you know, there's nobody better than yourself to explain that process. Um, Tell the folks listening to this how you came about, you know, developing Sotol, the idea uh, in college, because, as you said, there's nobody else in the United States doing this, which is quite interesting. There's no process that was already created. You had to – you're literally – create everything from scratch, which is fascinating. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, when I got out of the Navy, I wasn't sure what to do, but I thought it would be pretty cool to, to run a distillery. And as a, as a proud Texan, I thought, why not make a Texas distillery? So this is a long time ago. This is 2010. And at the time, there was only one company in Texas that was making whiskey. You had Tito's Vodka, which started in the 80s, and then you had Garrison Brothers whiskey. So I contacted Dan Garrison, the proprietor at Garrison Brothers, and I said, what do you think about having some competition? And to his credit, he was pretty uh, pretty open with me, shared some information, but essentially uh, I couldn't afford to do it because it's very expensive and it takes time. You know, If you're making bourbon, you've got to wait at least two years before you even know if your product's going to taste worth a damn. So I decided um, it wasn't going to work and uh, went a different route. But fast forward a few years, I went back to business school, got my MBA at the McCombs uh, through their executive program. So I was going to school on the weekends. Met some other veterans, an Army guy and a Marine, and we were kind of became buddies and decided we wanted to start a company together and um, liked the idea of doing something in the, in the liquor world. So we were brainstorming what to do. And I remembered um, the stories of Sotol being moonshined in West Texas by high school kids for generations. I got a lot of family out there. Thought it was pretty cool, so I shared that history with my co-founders. They loved it, and that's when it started. So that was the summer of 2016. We didn't know what we were doing. None of us had any background in distillation or even fermentation, for that matter. So we did what most Americans would do. We turned to Google and literally Googled how to distill, and that's where it started. Uh, taking the plants off the landscape in Texas. It grows everywhere, so you can find it anywhere you know, west of center in Texas and, and kind of the southwestern corner, uh, there's billions of plants. So we were just taking plants off, you know, state property, bringing them back to our kitchens, cooking them down, and running it through our still. Finally got something that was pretty decent. Went out in town here in Austin and raised, uh, raised some money, and then we built our facility here. 
So this plant, it, 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 when I when I saw it, you know, it, it did look a lot like, uh, well, it did not look like the agave plant. It was actually right next to this ginormous agave plant. But you said it was similar to the asparagus uh, plant in the same species um, of, of plants and like that not had little barbs on the side of each little stem that came out with the longer stem that came out that you guys make walking sticks out of because it's you know super super strong which i'm gonna get i'm gonna buy one of those later on by the way i'm a big walking stick fan um thousands of seeds on the end of them uh which is quite interesting so so harvesting these things are quite a um brutal process if you're not if you're not uh ready to go do this the gloves the right equipment and uh and, and clothing correct yeah, it's a man's game. Um, you know, I don't think Brad Nagel could handle it. It's, <laughs> probably not. It's, yeah, yeah, they, sounds, sounds way out there. Hands are too small. I, my first time harvesting, I wore a short sleeve shirt because it's summertime. And within 20 minutes, my forearms were just cut to shit because yeah. the leaves are like little hacksaw blades on both sides. It's double-edged serration and really, really sharp. So it's a tough plant, and that's part of the reason that it grows everywhere. Um, you know, if we have an extremely harsh winter, which are rare in Southwest Texas, but but we get them every now and then, once every forty, fifty years. When you say harsh, that you mean you mean dry or because it's clear, not snowy. I'm assuming. It's yeah, just... it'll snow. So you know, the okay. highest peaks over there are nine thousand feet. So people don't think about Texas having a lot of elevation, but the, the Chisos Mountains, the Franklin Mountains, we've got peaks to seven and eight, nine thousand feet up. So it does get very, very cold. Hmm. But in a really rough winter, uh, all the plants will be killed uh, and the one that survives out survives the rest is a sotol plant so in those circumstances you'll see the animals um, go to the sotol plant for for nutrients but it's a it's a last resort so in a good year they don't even touch it so we have ranchers begging us to come and take it because it's basically a weed and it's it's all over the place yeah yeah oh that's interesting so so that's the last resort that they are they eating the serrated blades that come off is that what they're kind of chewing on? They try to get to the heart. So yeah. for folks listening, if you picture an artichoke and the way you kind of cook that and then put it on a plate, you peel those leaves off, and at the base of those leaves there's some meat, and you kind of scrape it off in your teeth. Uh, you can do that with this plant. It sort of looks the same. It's, you know, it's 30 times larger than an artichoke, but the, the animals are trying to get down to that heart, and that's where the meat is. That's where the sugars are and some of the other uh, nutrients. So you learn the process about this 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 plant. You start cooking it uh, for a college project. Essentially, you got some investors involved in it. Now you've built it to a rather large operation, bringing in equipment and creating equipment for a larger scale that hasn't been done before. And like we were talking about earlier, it wasn't like you could just hire a consultant to come in and say, "Hey, what do we need to make this?" You're doing it yourself. You know, uh, lots of trial and error and. In, in pure entrepreneurship that's involved in this you know what's the talk about that trial and error uh process and developing this large juice press and the whole steam and all that stuff yeah so looking back uh sometimes i wish we had hired some consultants but we were a little too hard-headed so we tried to figure this shit out on our own and we did but now we're kind of paying the man uh, every now and then we find something we did that we shouldn't have done but it's worked out and we're making pretty good booze we have a lot of folks coming here and uh you know, they're blown away at how smooth it is, how easy to drink it is. It's been rapidly uh, adopted in our in our local community. So Austin and San Antonio, you know, we're in a couple hundred liquor stores now. We're in 50-some-odd uh, restaurants and cocktail bars, and we're adding, you know, places every day. We, we get we get new accounts. But, uh, yeah, so we started with that kitchen still. We bought off of eBay two years ago. And trial and error, trial and error, we probably did north of 100 batches. Some of them were good. Most of them were not. 
we took decent notes. And then once we got a process that was somewhat repeatable, we wrote it down and then figured out how, how to expand that. And so uh, we got on the phone with manufacturers and said, here's what we need. And before we knew it, we're talking to people who could make the stuff we needed. And they, we bought it. Our investors bought it and shipped it here to, to Austin. And we set it up. And here we are. How long does it take from the time that you harvest the plant to the time that it gets put in the bottle? If we're really on it and everything happens on time and nothing breaks, uh, 10, 10 days. Really? Yeah. And that's for the unaged, which, which we bottle at 80 proof. But we also have an aged, uh, which we, we barrel for six months. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. And when's your aged one looking at being possible? Yes, sometime in August 2018, and that'll be sold almost exclusively from the tasting room here and probably about 120 bucks a bottle. We've got a few of the early adopter restaurants. We'll, we'll sell them some bottles for their bar, but we have such a small quantity, just a couple hundred bottles, uh, and we've already pre-sold all of them. So we're going to keep them here, but we're going to do larger production batches so we can ship those out uh, for bigger quantities. Is that what I'm sitting on right here? Yeah, so you're sitting on our barrels, which uh, we're made out of new American oak, and, and that wood, those trees grows in Missouri. They grow in Missouri, and, and the Cooper, the, the folks that make these barrels, they're out of uh, South Carolina, and uh, we've been super happy with them. A um, place called Blackwater Barrels, and they're a newcomer on the market, but yeah, we've got a whole, whole room here full of barrels, and in a few months, we'll add some more. Yeah, yeah, you do got quite a bit here, which is going to add up to quite a few bottles. So are you, is the tasting room and uh, and the distillery itself seeing quite a bit of people rolling through here? Yeah, we are. So today's a Saturday, and we're, we're slammed in the tasting room every Saturday all day. And so we'll, we'll get maybe 150 people in here, 200 people in here on a regular Saturday. If it's a special occasion, we have an event out here, we'll set up extra tents, and uh, we'll, we'll be slammed um, all day long. And we usually have food trucks from, from Austin come down here and they'll serve food all day. How'd you guys come up with the name Desert Door? Yeah, so obviously we started to make uh, test batches before we had a name for the company. We wanted to make sure we could make it before we got that serious. So finally we settled on a batch and we were tasting it and we thought this really does taste like the West Texas desert. And some of your listeners may have driven through that part of the country and if you kind of imagine what it smells like, if you roll, roll your windows down and cruise through I-10 going through Texas, which takes a couple of days, uh, there's this real unique sort of smell, very clean, natural smell, but it's unique and it smells like the desert. And that's what our, our spirit tastes like. It, it's a smooth sip of, you know, the Chihuahua desert. So we're thinking about how to name this. And, um, you know, we didn't want uh, a traditional name. You know, we don't want to do you know smith brothers we wanted something unique we wanted it to uh, represent you know kind of the timelessness of the spirit itself we wanted the name um, to let folks know at least something about the history of the plant so we teamed up with some folks here in austin that do uh, do kind of creative branding and they helped us come up with the name desert door they actually sent us a list of seven different names and it took me you know a couple of seconds to read the list and immediately i knew this is the name of our company it's desert door bingo and so the thought there is it's when you drink it it's it's sort of a transportive experience you know and the natives believed that it, it was a psychedelic plant and they would get they would get high on it and really? so there's these cool cave paintings and some of these old caves uh, of sort of psychedelic messaging of the soto plant next to some sort of a psychedelic human experience so that's part of it right you you drink this and you're sort of stepping through this doorway 
to a different world, right? Different mentality. That's interesting. So we obviously it's not a psychedelic plant, but they but this the taste that they would gather from it would 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 bring them have a psychedelic experience i guess they were smoking sure. enough of it that uh <laughs> yeah. it had that effect Suppose you've so. been smoking up of anything you're gonna have something happen now huh? yeah and i think after we wrap this podcast up we can test that theory yeah see, <laughs> see if we can have a psychedelic experience <laughs> that's awesome Wait, there's we'll have, we'll have danny go first hey someone's got to go yeah. first always <laughs> no man we're you know and you know this is obviously a, a little bit different than your typical bourbon or your you know, call it Tennessee whiskey or anything else that we would have in this box. And that's kind of why we wanted to do it. One of the last times I spoke with you, you said this is, it's kind of like, uh, this Soto plant. It's it kind of like it, it married bourbon and a tequila plant and had a baby and, and it was so tall, you know, that was quite interesting to me. And that right then and then I thought we need to have this in our box because it's got enough, uh, relationship taste wise to, to do that, you know, and that's, Something you spoke about earlier, and is that a lot of, what a lot of people do speak about? You know, everyone's got a slightly different um, opinion on what it tastes like. One of my partners, Brent, he says it's a desert gin. Mm. But we had a, a master distiller from one of the well-known bourbon distilleries, and I won't name names, but he came here on vacation a few months ago, and he tasted our aged, so tall. And um, he was he, he was speechless, and he said, I've been distilling liquor my whole life and my father the same and i've tasted lots of different distillates and lots of different spirits and what you guys have made here is really extraordinary he's like rarely do you taste something this easy to drink this smooth it's captured both the the desert terroir but also it's pulled just enough out of the wood out of the oak to give it a little bit of a bourbon hit but it's kind of tequila he said there's really no label you can put on this it's just it's just so tall so folks want to find a place to sort of jump off uh mentally to, to know where to start before they taste it and it's just hard to do that because it's it's so unique so you just kind of gotta get in there and give it a shot it really is you know after i tried it i was sitting there really trying to, to, to take it all in trying to explain it and i really really can't but when you say that it does simply enough taste like texas that's literally the best way that i can even explain it to someone who who would never try this before, to someone listening to this podcast, and even then, what the hell does that even mean to someone who may not have traveled to Texas before or understand it? But it's just you've got to try it to understand it. So that well, you got to sign up for the club. You got to come to you know Desert Door Distillery. Yeah. You got to come to Texas to really to really understand that. So yeah, um, no nobody who's not in Texas uh, can get it unless they're part of the Rackhouse program. So we're we're proud to be awesome. getting our juice out to the country through you guys so thanks rack yeah, house no absolutely absolutely well judd thanks for coming on the podcast uh i'm hot as hell right now we're we're in the bottling yeah. room right now it's good though i've enjoyed the hell out of my time here and we're gonna be here for another day in uh some more hours let's go have some fun thanks brother all right thanks you guys cheers <laughs>